0: This morning on the topic of blissless ignorance You've heard the phrase Ignorance is bliss I want to talk to you this morning About blissless ignorance Hear the word of the Lord O children of Israel For the Lord has a controversy Or the Lord has a problem With the inhabitants of the land What land would this be? This would be Israel Israel the people of God God has a problem with his people Well that shouldn't be should it? Aren't God's people always right and good and sweet and kind and tenderhearted and gentle and loving and giving and serving and selfless? There is no faithfulness or steadfast love. If you're taking notes today, I I would love for you to write those two words in big, bold letters, faithfulness. Steadfast love or truth and mercy As the King James will call them Faithfulness Steadfast love And no Knowledge of God In the land No faithfulness No steadfast love And no knowledge of God In the land Do you think it's possible that the lack Of faithfulness and steadfast love Has anything to do with the fact that there's no Knowledge of God in the land there are a lot of people that know a lot about church. They know a lot about the Bible. They know a lot about God, but they don't know God. How do you know if a person truly knows the Lord if they have faithfulness and steadfast love or truth and mercy? If you were to do a survey across the country of people who have had interactions with the church, would you, you would hope so. But do you think it's possible that there would be some folks that would say, that they did not experience very much truth or mercy when they went to church. Emphasis on the mercy. There's a lot of judgment, judgment, legalism, self-righteousness. Well, God says to his people, I've got a problem with that. Because you can't say you know God and then treat people like trash. You can't say you know God and be arrogant, condescending, self serving, unkind, not to overuse the word here, but unmerciful. I've tried my best over the last month or so to stress and teach and make crystal clear that the character of God is love, it's mercy. I don't want to see your butt, but God, that, but God but but, but the Bible says but but, but but the Bible says the Bible says very clearly, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but rather that the world through him might be saved. So Hosea writes, on behalf of the Lord, under the inspiration of the Lord, he writes, God has a problem with his people. And that problem is that they have no steadfast love, no faithfulness. There is no knowledge of God in the land. Explain something to me. How is it possible that the people of God don't have the knowledge of God in the land? How would they not have the knowledge of God in the land if they are the people of God unless they have stopped teaching the, the, the truth about who He is? This word faithfulness, let me explain, define a few words here. The word faithfulness means truth. Steadfast love means mercy. The knowledge of God. Or another way to translate this is to know God. Due to the lack of truth and mercy, there is a lack of the knowing of God or of the character of God. If there is no truth and no mercy, then there is no character of God because that is his character. God loved the world, gave his only begotten Son. God didn't send Jesus because he was mad. God didn't send Jesus because he wanted to wipe everybody out. God didn't send Jesus because he wanted to get us. He sent Jesus in order that we might know his mercy so that we might not be gotten by our own selves. Okay, for those of you who are about to bust a theological nerve here, is God a God who will judge? Yes, He is. Absolutely. How many of you parents enjoy disciplining your children? It is a necessary thing, but you do not enjoy it. if, it, let's, let's, if your child has a balloon I mean a balloon and you were to bust that balloon. To teach your child a lesson. How would that make you feel? What kind of a person are you? I'll show my child I'll break their favorite toy. I'll show my child I'll beat them until they can't hardly stand it. I'll show my child I'll do this or I'll do that. That doesn't sound like a good father, does it? A good father will discipline the child. Not out of anger, certainly not out of rage, but out of love, because that's the character of a father. But it is the will of the father for the child to know right and wrong and to do what is right so that they can do two things be a blessing to others and a blessing to themselves what I mean is that father does not want that child to make poor decisions because of the repercussions that that child will reap and that father wants that child to do good to others so that they can continue the love and the mercy and the goodness of God when that father is long gone remember we started out in this whole series the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom the fear of the Lord, the reverence, the knowledge, the understanding of God I understand that not everybody's had a good home life and not everybody even has a father or a mother. You had someone that gave birth to you or you had someone that took part in you being here but you don't have a father or a mother. Maybe you don't have a grandfather or a grandmother that you can look back on and say they were there in your life. But is there anybody in your life that you know they loved you? They cared about you? And you identified that love and that care that they had for you And when you, when you think about them That's what comes across your mind Man they really cared about it. They loved me enough to, to tell me the truth Not to bust my bubble but So they could build me up When you think about them You have a fear, a reverence, a respect for them Because you know their character To know the character of the Lord is to know his love and his mercy, to know that his word is true and it is for your benefit. The Lord tells you right from wrong in order to be a blessing to you. And as all of us who've ever raised a child knows, children aren't always going to get it right. And you know why we know that? Because the parents don't always get it right. Because human beings will not always get it right. And if we're honest, we often get it wrong. But his truth does not change based on whether or not we do good or do right or wrong or do good or do bad. His truth is still the same. And what backs up his truth is his love and his mercy. Even though I have sinned against him, even though I have disobeyed his word, his love always rescues me. Even in my mess, he shows up in order to clean me up. I have this gift. Anytime I go see Elliot, I hold him and I do what I call the pop-pop pat. And he'll start squirming like he's hungry, and he'll go, ah, and like bite his fist. And eventually he'll calm down, and then he smiles. And when he smiles... We're on red alert Because that means he's about to fill that diaper We know We know it's coming The Lord provides us With a place of peace And even when we make messes In that place of peace He takes us and He cleans us up and He doesn't get rid of us. How is it possible that the people of God don't have that knowledge in their land? How? The very beginning of this nation was nothing short of a miracle. They go into the land of Egypt and they multiply and prosper. And then Pharaoh turns on them and despises them. the people of Egypt can't stand the sons of Jacob. The Lord raises up a man who can't even talk right. To lead them out of that unbelievably civilized and cultured nation. That world empire. using nothing but his own trembling voice that is backed up by the faithfulness and the steadfast love of God. Israel stands at the Red Sea, nowhere to go. Behind them is the fury of Pharaoh. In front of them is a turbulent, raging sea. Where do we go from here, the people ask. And Moses says... I don't know but somehow, some way, God's going to make a way and in God's love for his people he does what? He tells Moses step into this water and I'll part it people of Israel make their way across on dry ground Pharaoh's army comes in behind them and what happens? they're overwhelmed Who parted that water and for what purpose? God parted the Red Sea so that his fledgling people could make it through to the other side. Do you think there were some moms and dads, some mamas and papas that told that story to their children? Do you think there was a whole lot of knowledge about that in the land? You better believe it. Oh, but then prosperity sets in in Israel. They become a kingdom. We're somebody now. We can pay for this on our own. We've got a perfect credit score. We don't need the help of the Lord. We have an army to take care of us. We are powerful, we are strong. We don't need the Lord to take care of us. I have my own house, my own farm. I have everything I need. We don't need to worry about the Lord anymore. Do you know what began to happen? As the word of the Lord began to disappear from the lips of his people, so did his character. The character, the love, and the mercy of God began to disappear from the land. The people began to fight with one another. They began to bicker with one another. They began to have fault, find fault with one another. They began to pick one another apart. They began to turn on each other and devour one another. They began to formulate their own religion through tradition where they said that not only do we have to do what God said, but we've got to go above and beyond that. Instead of just washing your hands, you've got to do it a certain way or we're going to call you out and tell you that you're not good enough. Is there anybody in this room that has ever experienced that? You weren't good enough unless you did it this way. You weren't good enough unless you did it the way that this tradition says or this denomination says or this old man in the church that thinks he runs the place says. Or this old lady in the church that thinks she runs the place says it has to be. For those of you who aren't aware, you don't run this church. I don't run this church. I'm the pastor of this church. But this is the Lord's church. And if he wanted us to sit on our heads And wear floppy hats And wear purple robes He would tell us that But you know what he told told us He wants to see in us Two things Truth And mercy Do you remember last week When we were talking about Mental health I hope that upset some people I hope it ruffled some feathers I hope it hit home for those of you who struggle with it. And I hope it was a punch in the gut to those of you who like to talk about those people and say that they're not real problems, that they're just making that up, that's excuses. And I would like to reiterate what I said last week, then what's your excuse for acting the way that you act? Some of you don't realize you got mental health issues. I know that's, I mean, I understand the humor in that, but, but I'm, I'm being serious. You know, when you criticize other people for the things they have, but you can't see your own, that's a mental health issue. It's actually a spiritual issue too, but you see where I'm going here. When you can't show mercy to people who desperately need it, that's not a reflection of their character. It's a reflection of yours. The fact that someone isn't as strong as you think you are is not a reflection on their character. It's a reflection on yours. And unfortunately, that is not a reflection of his character. What should be the reflection that the world sees from the church other than mercy and love? Is the church always going to get it right? No. Is the church always going to get it wrong? No. But is it possible that in your lifetime, you might not get it right once or twice? Yes. Yes, it is. And what is the character of God towards you? Okay, then what should then be the character you have toward others? We live in this state in the church called blissless ignorance, where we want to be critical of other people, judgmental, dismissive ugly, hateful and unkind. They just don't live for the Lord like I do. And I'm not going to give them an inch. I'm just setting a good example for them. I'm just demanding that they come up here where I am instead of staying down there. Well, you climb on up on that pedestal. I'm going to stay right here at the foot of the cross with all the other beggars, lepers, liars, murderers, thieves, adulterers, gossipers. I'm going to stay right down there. Me and Everett, we're going to hang out right there. At the foot of the cross, not at the head of the line when God says through Hosea to his people, I have a problem with you, that's akin to when you say to your child, I understand that they do that at that house, but that's not how we do it in this house. God says to Hosea to tell the people, I don't care how they do it in Syria. I don't care how they do it in Egypt. I don't care how they do it Lebanon, Gaza, Persia, or Rome. My house shall be called a house of prayer. My house shall be known as the house of mercy. My house shall be known as the house of love. My house shall be known as the place where the lowest of low can find the highest of high that can reach out and be not only touched by but embraced by the Most High God through His love and His mercy. Not a place where you come and find judgment and you are told that you're not good enough. Certainly not a place where you come in and you go, and you get goosebumps and never hear a sermon. Certainly not a place where you come in for the feeling. It's certainly not a place for you to come each Sunday and show off how mad you are. When you walk through the doors of this house, you should crawl. I'm not insinuating that you should crawl in. but You should come through these doors saying, man, I don't deserve to be in this place of peace. I don't deserve to be in the presence of God. I don't deserve to be able to be a part of this family. But look at me now. But look at me here with the people of God experiencing the love of God. Coming to know His grace and mercy evermore every day. So, if God were to write a letter to us, would he have a problem with you? Would he have a problem with the way that you look at each other? Would he have a problem with the way that you talk to each other? Would he have a problem with the way that you present him to the world? Would he say to you, There's no knowledge of God in your home, there's no knowledge of God in this house. There were good priests in that day who were trying, Everett. They were trying. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink it. The people had turned away from the Lord. And do you know why the Lord was talking to them? Because judgment was coming. And he was trying to rescue them. Listen, the Lord's mercy and grace is great. But you've got to receive it. And you've got to accept it. And the devil is doing everything he can to try to turn people away from the mercy and the grace of the Lord. He wants us to experience pain and guilt and shame. And ultimately, he wants us to experience hell and not know the glory of God's merciful salvation that leads to eternal life. The devil is doing everything he can to try to turn people away from the truth. Don't help him. Don't be a part of that. I can't do anything about what goes on at the next church over. I can't do anything about what goes on inside your home. All I can do is try my best to not worry about pleasing you, which is difficult to do. And to do everything I can to make sure that you are pleasing him. And that's not through your efforts. That's not through what you do. It's not through your power or your strength. It's not through your ability. You don't do this. You did not find and choose Christ. He found and chose you. You didn't come to him and walk the altar. I walked up front and I got saved. No, you didn't. The Lord either drew you or you didn't come. The Lord spoke to you right where you were sitting, not through your profession or procession, I should say. The Lord did that. It was personal. It was intimate. It was something that took place inside of you. He filled you with his spirit. He shows you his love. And you are now a child of God. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says or thinks about you. It doesn't matter what they feel about you. I just don't know if Kitty's really a believer. Why do we do that? Why do we want so badly to find a way to root somebody out? When Jesus offered up his life, his body, his blood, his last breath, in order that all the strength that he had, he pulled himself up to say, it is finished. And then he exhaled for the last time. Just so that you and I could come to know the mercy and the love, the character of God. And we will fight with every ounce of our strength to make sure that preacher doesn't get anything, to make sure that nobody likes the preacher, to make sure that the church stays small so that we can keep it under our thumb, to make sure that we can do all that we can do to keep you from feeling like you have love and mercy because God forbid we know love and mercy, we might actually live without fear. We might walk without worry. We might actually be able to stand upright on our own two feet and be a light and a witness to a world that desperately needs the Lord. Please tell me, why is there no knowledge of God in the house of the Lord? May it not ever be written of this place. May it never be said of your home. May it never be spoken, much less written about for us. Think about the time you've wasted fighting with somebody else, arguing, being mad about something that don't even matter. Instead of using that strength that you have and that little bit of free time you have to embrace and love and bring someone along in the kingdom. I want to ask you a very pointed question for those of you who have been in church for a long time. How many disciples have you made? How many disciples have you made? How many people have you taken by the hand and said, let me lead you in this walk in the kingdom? If you've got time to judge, if you've got time to critique, you've got time to take somebody by the hand and wash their feet. If you've got time to point out their flaw, you've got time to wash their face. If you've got time to talk about and sever relationships with people over trivial, petty, foolish things, you've got time to lay down your life, pick up your towel, wrap that around your waist and say, how can I serve them, God? Jesus did not come wearing a regal robe, banishing or brandishing, thank you for the wisdom there, Steve, brandishing a scepter and saying, everyone bow to me. Instead, he was born into a home of little means, Born into controversy. A woman with no husband was no small thing. Being pregnant, I mean. She was to be stoned. And this is what Jesus is born into. Because it was the will of God for it to be So. thousands upon thousands of people that followed him and when he sat down with his disciples he took a towel and a bucket of water and he began to wash their feet right what did Peter say not mine Lord not mine Lord Jesus says get behind me Satan No, he actually says that when he says you shouldn't die. But he says to Peter, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. If I don't wash your feet, then you can't know my character. And when the disciples were fighting about who was the greatest among them, what did Jesus say? Let the greatest among you be servant of all. so if you've got time to swerve get out of your lane and start acting like somebody you're not being critical and hateful and ugly to people then you've got time to serve if you know the character of the Lord if you know the Lord you will know his character and if you know his character it will be reflected in how you live so my question to you is this Will the Lord find a controversy with you today? Will he have a problem with you? Or will he see love and mercy in your life? That's your character, not your crown.